Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and I am surrounded by a group of uh, young adults. Uh, they represent the GROW, G-R-O-W. It's an acronym, and it stands for something none of us can remember. Uh, but they are from the Wasatch Church of Christ in Clearfield. Their pastor is Rob Ron White. The comedian, just kidding. Uh, they have a good pastor out there. And Justin, he's one of the leaders here. He's this tall, handsome young man. He uh, has something he would like to say. All right, I just wanted to say that uh, we believe that the Bible is 100% true. And we believe that Jesus Christ is our savior and that through him and through the cross, uh, the cross is sufficient for all, for everything. And he died for our sins, and we believe that that's all that we need, is Christ. Amen. People from Wasatch uh, Church of Christ, thank you for being on. Be careful as you exit that way. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of his ministry, and we pray that he will be with you and us tonight. Uh, announcementados. For those of you who don't speak Spanish, that means announcements, in my language at least. We meet every week at church uh, at the University of Utah, once at 10, once at 2.30, milk and meat. Uh, go to www.campus.com for more information. Beginning June 3rd, we're going to be adding a third gathering from 7 to 9 for young adults, just like the kids you just saw on the screen. And beginning June 11th, we're going to be starting a Bible study where... Uh, at the downtown Salt Lake City Denny's from 7 to 9. There will be uh, uh, protection there in case some of you are worried. Go to www.campus.com for more information. AM820, The Truth, is a great Christian radio station here in Utah. Check them out, especially on Sundays from 1 to 2 because they replace Heart of the Matter. Uh, that's The Truth, AM820. We strongly endorse a program called The Transitions uh, program project and those churches that have implemented it in their uh, in their um, congregations. Transitions is a system or a model that helps believers help Latter-day Saints come out of their former religious affiliation and into a saving relationship with the Lord and all the changes that go along with that happening. You and your church or pastor can find out more about Transitions training by going to www.ldstransitions.com. Once your church has been transitions trained, we will announce them and their location so that people who are LDS and thinking of coming out of Mormonism can go to that church in their area and, uh, and learn uh, and get delivered to them some skills on, on how to best uh, transition out because the transition can be difficult. Uh, it's not that a church needs to have this program, but it certainly helps others to know that they are in tune with the nuances of leaving Mormonism and becoming Christian. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. We have a great summer deal going on. If you want to save some bucks and get some excellent uh, resources in your hands, we're calling it our great summer uh, promotion of products. Take a look.
are at war with a multi-billion dollar uh, multinational religious marketing machine and the only thing we have is information. And so we have some uh, uh, products to tell you about and what we're going to do is we're going to offer them to anybody and everybody at a discounted price. Now the total value of these products uh, retail is about a hundred dollars. So if you ordered them individually from us, it cost you about a hundred bucks. Uh, the first one is we're doing the new book, normally about 28 bucks, uh, Mormonism A to Z. We're offering that, this one, and then we're offering my favorite, if my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. And then we're offering, I was a born again Mormon. So three books, we're offering uh, a Mormon president, Joseph Smith and the Mormon quest for the White House. Uh, this DVD uh, we're offering as well. And then finally, we're offering, uh, in his words, this is the music that we use at campus. It's 17, whoop, 17 uh, scriptures put to music. It helps with memorization and worship. All of those five products um, we're offering to you a $50 donation uh, or more, but $50 donation. Uh, that would save you a tremendous amount of money, it would make the ministry some money, and it gets out what we feel is a lot of good information out to people. If you don't want it for yourself, of course you give it to family and friends. If you're interested in this, you can go to our website at www.hotm.tv, check out the store, you'll see the offer there. And uh, so that's how you do it, we're just letting you know. All right, speaking of websites, let me take a minute, remind you to, uh, if you're online, take a, a second and check out the five websites that we have, four right now, www.bornagainmormon.com, uh, campus with hyphens in between.com, www.hotm.tv, and www.xmormonfiles.tv. Uh, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of hours of recorded information, written information, uh, there for your use for information because it's only information that is going to be able to get in to this uh, power and money and appearances and, and the marketing of Mormonism. Speaking of websites, many of you are aware of a program that we produce called The X-Files hosted by Bishop Earl. In this half hour show which airs on Fridays from 8 to 8.30, Bishop Earl interviews people who have left Mormonism, not for atheism, not for another religion, but for a personal rela uh, saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Tune in. Uh, you can go to the website and you can watch any of the shows, uh, which is really great. Also, tune in on Fridays. You can see them there, the new ones. And uh, if you want to uh, be interviewed, and we hope you will, go to www.xmormonfiles.tv and you'll see a way to uh, sign up. How about a moment from the Word? John chapter 6 brings me to one of my pet peeves in uh, modern day Christian dumb and her, her recent and soon to be adopted sister by all appearances, Mormonism. Uh, in John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed the masses with miracle loaves and fishes and the crowd loved it. And uh, in verse 15 it says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. What did Jesus come to do and by what method did he do it? Save an already condemned world, right, from sin. Reconcile the fallen world to holy God by virtue of his shed blood. 
Was he successful? Absolutely. And by and through his propitiation, he satisfied the demands of justice all men and women have to do to receive his eternal offering of grace is have faith in it, believe in it. The world has been forgiven, has been reconciled, has been propitiated by and through his shed blood. So what ought the central message uh, in Christianity be? That salvation is at hand in the sole person of Jesus Christ, accessed by grace through faith, right? Is it our duty or call as believers to rid the world of sin, fight against it in the streets? Is this what our king did? Verse 15 seems to indicate that when they sought to make our heavenly king an earthly king, a leader of political means and prowess, a fighter against human sin, he departed alone into the wilderness. This was not his call. This is not our call. The Christian mandate is to share the good news with any and all who will hear as faith comes by hearing the word. From the moral majority in the 70s to the Westboro Baptist today, much of the body has lost its way, making moral reformation and fighting sin its central focus. In the process, instead of Christians being a warm and inviting light for lost sinful people to come to and relax and discover him out of the cold, we have in some ways become a glaring, probing searchlight focused on ferreting out sinful lifestyles and legis legislating morality in his name. This has never been the Christian call. And what has been the result of this, especially in America? Look around. I would boldly suggest that before it's too late, that true believers begin to refuse to cast dispersion on a world that's already condemned and upon its inhabitants, but instead share Jesus and the love he gave in order to save them. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we need you and we seek you in these uh, tumultuous times in our program tonight be with our audiences wherever they may be and who may watch in the future. We pray that we'll be able to have your spirit as the callers call in and we'll be able to reach people who are seeking. Bless our volunteers and all the stuff that goes into putting this on. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have harvested the Book of Mormonian. Tonight we will begin peeling it back, revealing its content and makeup. Uh, my wife went over to Utah Lighthouse Ministry and picked up, picked up a photocopy of the first edition of the Book of Mormon. And uh, it, this is, it's titled, Joseph Smith Begins His Work, Volume 1, but it's the Book of Mormon, 1830, first edition, reproduced from uncut sheets. And you can get one of these there if you want to get it and, and, and study along with us as we do it. Now, first and foremost, we have to realize that this is the true Book of Mormon. The revised versions, the scrubbed up copies floating around today, the ones that look like they're scripture have been put together later in years to kind of reflect what the Bible looks like. But this looks just like a novel and, and it has all of its errors and everything else in it. And it's, this is truly the Book of Mormon because Joseph Smith said, God dictated to him letter for letter word for word, this book, by the gift and power of God. And so if it's been changed, 
we have a problem. So the changed one, I don't give any credence to it. I want to know what the real one was that came from God's mouth to Joseph's ear to paper. Okay? Now, what many people, members included, don't realize is that the testimony of the three and eight witnesses was put at the back of the original Book of Mormon. And um, that the first edition came with a note from Joseph Smith, which served as a preemptive strike against the possibility that the lost 116 pages may come back up once this has been printed and prove the whole thing uh, a fraud. And so this note is not included in the versions today either. It's in the front of, this, uh, of the original Book of Mormon. And what it does is it's Joseph Smith just writing a note and saying, hey, listen, be careful because uh, there was a lost 116 pages and evil men are trying to prove this book wrong and they're going to abuse it, etc., etc." Um, but the thing that's interesting about that note, and I'm not going to take the time to read it, is that Joseph Smith wrote this. It wasn't a revelation. It wasn't supposed to be on the plates. It wasn't from God's mouth to his ear. He wrote it. But when you read it, it reads just like the text of the Book of Mormon. He uses the King's English. He talks about the same things in the same ways. It's the same lilting flow that the Book of Mormon has. And the, and the, it's just amazing because you would think if God produced the Book of Mormon's text by virtue of his mouth to Joseph's ear, it would read one way and that Joseph's writings would read completely a different way, but they don't. They read exactly the same. So anyway, um, that was taken out. And uh, then we also note that there is a title page. And that is included in the Book of Mormons today. Uh, uh, but we're going to look at the original title page that was in the Book of Mormon uh, back then. Now, Derek's going to focus on this. And uh, you're going to notice a couple things about this title page. This is from the original Book of Mormon. First of all, you're going to notice these two paragraphs. I'll talk about those. And the first one, we have to remember that Joseph Smith was a young man. He had not adopted any of his strange doctrines yet. He was trying to produce a book that replicated the Bible and answered many of the problems that existed in America at that time, including problems that existed in the Christian church. Well, down here, I don't know if you can see it, but it says this. Uh, and also the Book of Mormon to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile. Now listen to this, that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. That's what it said in, that's what it says on the title page of the Book of Mormon, that Jesus Christ is the eternal God. That doctrine, while consistent with Christianity and consistent with Joseph Smith's idea of Christ at the time when the Book of Mormon was put together, is completely refuted by Mormonism today. And Jesus was not the eternal God and is not the eternal God, but he was a created being by the Father. Joseph Smith came up uh, with that later on. So that's important to notice. The first thing is that it does teach something different. Um, secondly, because of Sandra Tanner's work, uh, you would find a bunch of different corrections on this title page. There are five changes that were grammatical. For instance, one of the lines says, and now if there be faults, it be the mistake of men. That was changed to, and now if there are faults, they are the mistakes of men. 
right on the very first page, okay? Because this was supposedly in the golden plates. This, and it was trans this page was translated from the golden plates. This wasn't, but all this was. And so Joseph said God gave him letter by letter, word by word, but we have a problem already with it in the grammar. This is, okay, we can throw this out if you don't want to accept this as being a problem. I think it's certainly a problem, but it's corrections like that. We also notice a correction that down here it says, by Joseph Smith Jr., author and proprietor. Okay? Now that was changed, and it now reads, um, translated by Joseph Smith Jr. So the first edition, Joseph said he was the author and the proprietor of the Book of Mormon, but since the LDS Church has changed it, that this book was translated by Joseph Smith. Then we come to the paragraphs. These two paragraphs talk about two different things that are contained in the Book of Mormon. The first paragraph talks about that this book was written to people who were um, from remnant of the house of Israel who came to the Americas, waged in big wars, and a remnant of them became the American Indian. That's what this first one talks about, okay? The second paragraph here talks about another group of people that came, and the Book of Mormon is a record of, around the ta ta time of the Tower of Babel, 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 Babel. And that, um, that this, uh, I got lost in my own joke, and that this is, uh, tells about their coming over at that time, 600 years BC, or even before that, and uh, it being a record of them too. So that is what's included all on that page. Now, we're not going to go through every page like this, but some of this is important. So let's come back here and talk about it. We know what the first two paragraphs are about there on that title page, that there was a group of people who left Palestine by boat, and they traveled across the sea. They came to the Americas. They grew into two great uh, uh, nations. And these were the lost ten tribes. These represented the lost ten tribes of Israel. And then after wars, they became the American Indians. The second paragraph stating that there was also another group far, far, far back in history that came around the Tower of Babel. They left also by boat, landed in the Americas, established as a group, and then they were all wiped out. So what happens there is we see what the premise of the Book of Mormon is on the title page that these two groups, Joseph Smith in March of 1842, as quoted in the Times and Seasons, page 708 and 709, said this regarding the Book of Mormon. We are informed by these records that America in ancient times has been inhabited by two distinct races of people. The first were called Jaredites and came directly from the Tower of Babel. The second race came directly from the city of Jerusalem about 600 years before Christ. They were principally Israelites of the descendants of Joseph. The first group which Joseph called the Jaredites were destroyed about the time that the Israelites came from Jerusalem and the principal nation of the second race fell in toward the close of the fourth century, fell in battle towards the close of the fourth century. This remnant are the Indians that now inhabit this country, end quote. That's from Joseph Smith himself, the prophet, saying that the remnant now inhabits this country, meaning America, meaning the remnant are the American Indians, okay? So, 
from the title page of the Book of Mormon, uh, what Joseph Smith said and from what Joseph Smith said about the book from the onset. Let me make this really clear. The single most prevalent premise for the entire Book of Mormon's existence was to show that lost tribes from ancient Israel came to the American continent and the descendants became, in time, the American Indians. This was taught from Joseph Smith's time all through my life as a Latter-day Saint up until about 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, when they started saying, uh-oh, we don't have proof for any of this. Uh-oh, DNA is starting to reveal some things about this. Uh-oh, all these promises and this history can't be validated by modern science. That the book includes prophecies about Columbus, of course written after the fact, Jesus, the strength of the United States as a nation, a history of a split nation between two peoples, the wars, the robbers, the murders, even a visit of Jesus to the Americas. All that stuff is ancillary to the fact that the Book of Mormon claims to be an actual history of two actual groups, one from the Tower of Babel and the other from ancient Israel, that they actually came to the Americas in actual boats and they actually, uh, from the mouth of their founding prophet, left a remnant that is actually the American Indian. Okay? That is the foundational push of the Book of Mormon. Later it became another testament of Christ. Later it became this important religious book. But the real focus was to show where the American Indians came from, to talk about the Lost Ten Tribes, and to then start to clear up some religious differences and confusion that existed in Joseph Smith's time. In light of this, our quest to determine if the Book of Mormon is legitimately a book of ancient origin, because if it's not, then the author is a fraud, we have to recognize a few central facts. First, we must ask ourselves, was the question of the origins of the American Indians a topic of conversation during Joseph Smith's life, or was the Book of Mormon original in this idea? Perhaps more importantly, listen, if theories about American Indian origins did exist in Joseph Smith's day, have those theories today been proven wrong? In other words, if the Book of Mormon contains answers, solutions, hypothecations as to the origins of the American Indians that did not exist in his lifetime, I think we have good reason to embrace the Book of Mormon as an inspired work. But if Joseph's book not only contains information that was popular and was discussed in his day, and, and listen, and those hypothecations have been proven false today by science and research and archaeology, this book is a fraud. Our author, David Pursuit, uh, summarized this very well, saying, quote, The veracity of the Book of Mormon is largely dependent upon the veracity of the idea that the Native Americans are descendants of the Israelites, end quote. As a quick aside, just know this, there is no single group uh, professor of anthropology or archaeology, who's non-Mormon of course, that accepts the idea that any American Indian, let alone all of them, as Joseph said, came from Israel. Not one. 
there is not one archaeological find anywhere that says the American Indians came from Israel, ever, either genetically or from any archaeological evidence. None. Okay? They say there is, there is not. And you can go to the Smithsonian, you can look at any respectable archaeologist or anthropologist, and none of them, if they're not Mormon, would say, yeah, we think the Book of Mormon is, been, has been proven historically correct. So let's ask, was the idea of Native Americans coming from the Lost Ten Tribes or the Nation of Israel first introduced in Joseph's Book of Mormon? We know from previous programs that the idea that the American Indians came from uh, the Lost Ten Tribes in Israel was popularized in a, in a book well before Joseph ever produced his Book of Mormon by Oliver Cowdery's family pastor, Ethan Smith. The book was called View of the Hebrews. We're going to use the View of the Hebrews as we go through the Book of Mormon to show parallels that Joseph stole from it and incorporated into his own book. But the idea that Native Americans came from lost tribes of Israel was discussed long before Ethan Smith wrote his hypothesis. Now the Bible has led many people to wonder, where are the lost ten tribes? And as a result, whenever some nomadic people pop up, we see them and they're dark skinned and they, and they live in different places out in nature. Many Bible believing people say, well, are, those, are they part of the lost ten tribes? Um, I mean, not too long after Columbus discovered America, people were talking about the natives being part of the lost ten tribes. That's how old the concept was. I mean, ideas orbiting and touching all the way back to 1567. We have written proof that people thought American Indians came from the lost ten tribes. By the time the 17th century came around, Several noted thinkers and writers had published or openly talked about whether American Indians descended from Israel. These writers included Antonio D. Monizanos, Rabbi Manasseh ben Israel, Thomas Thorogood, John Eliot, Samuel Sewell, uh, Roger Williams, and William Penn even. These thinkers planted seeds which ultimately colored the views of Joseph Smith's grandfather and Joseph Smith's father and got him always talking about this theory. In 1775, remember Joseph Smith published a Book of Mormon in 1830. In 1775, James Adair wrote The History of the American Indians. Not only did he write of a theory, but he took from Pastor Ethan Smith's view of the Hebrews. And, um, I mean, Pastor Ethan Smith borrowed heavily from James Adair's writings, and he incorporated them into his book. Another proponent was Elias Boudinot, who in 1816 wrote a book called A Star in the West or A Humble Attempt to Discover the Lost Ten Tribes of Israel. This was 14 years before Joseph Smith published his book, which on the title page says, hey, this is about where the Lost Ten Tribes came are and how they are now the American Indian. A guy named Josiah Priest wrote The Wonders of Nature and Providence Displayed in New York in 1825 before Joseph claimed to have received the golden plates. In this book, Priest cites all kinds of other books and authors that talk about the same theory. Even the newspapers and magazines around Joseph Smith and his day talked about this subject. In his own hometown, uh, the Wayne Sentinel newspaper printed an article in 1825 Joseph Smith printed his Book of Mormon in 1830. The newspaper in Joseph's town cited a story from a Jewish man named Mordecai M. Noah who proposed the idea that the American Indians were descendants of Israelites. 
But here's the clincher. All of these ideas and notions, popular in Joseph Smith's day, but exempt from being proven wrong because science wasn't up to par yet, have today, through science and research and archaeology, been proven completely false. So Mormonism continues to call this the most correct book on the face of the earth, the book that'll get you closer to God than any other. They keep calling it that this is true, it's true, it's true. But archaeology and science has proven in this day and age that all those theories back in Joseph Smith's day were a big farce, just a big farce. Okay, so uh, the last thing to consider before we go to the phones is was the idea that people came from the Tower of Babel so many years back, what was the idea around that there's people in the Americas who came from the Tower of, of Babel or Babel? And yes, there, uh, there was. All the way back in 1652, a book was written by Sir Hammond Le Estrange. Funny name. He wrote about people coming from the time of the Tower of Babel by boats to the Americas. In the 18th century, Samuel Mather and Pierre de Charlevoix published books suggesting the very same. So we have surrounding Joseph Smith well before him, well after him, in newspapers, in books, in common discussion, ideas that the American Indians came from the House of Israel and that people came at the time of the Tower of Babel by boat to the Americas and the title page of the Book of Mormon says this is what this book is all about to prove it true. Let's open up the phone lines 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Put on your thinking caps my friends. This is the title page. We haven't even begun to show you what's inside this book in terms of error, biblical quotations, uh, uh, citations from a number of other sources, themes from the uh, 19th century. It goes on and on and on. But you see, the Mormon church has to tell you that this book is true. Believe in it, believe in it, believe in it. Because if you buy into that, you will buy into their program, and that means you will pay them tithing, and that means you will continue to keep that church afloat, and it is ridiculous. We produce and distribute two television programs every week, year in, year out, to supply seekers with information. We publish and distribute three books full of information. We host five websites full of reliable information. And we answer sometimes up of 600 emails in a week. Uh, we are filming films. We hold two church services every Sunday. And we have two open annual water baptisms. We put the word of God to music. And we have witnessed firsthand God's ability to take our feeble efforts and to produce fruit. That means people coming out of that false religion and into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about, my friends. Every bit of it is about bringing people out of whatever they're trapped in and into a saving relationship. You have made it all possible because of your prayers, which are so vitally important to our state of mind, our peace, and our ability to do what we do. You've also made it uh, possible by virtue of sharing the program with other people telling your friends and family and neighbors and your financial support if you're in a position only and if only the Lord has led you to. And we always throw that caveat then. We don't want the widow's might. We don't want people. We want the Lord to lead you if you're in the position. 
But all those ways, plus volunteerism and everything else, keeps us going, and we thank you so very much. We have John from Lincoln, Nebraska. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how are you doing? Doing well, how are you? I'm well, this is John from Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, I really like your show. And as far as I'm concerned, you are not a musty clam. You are a roaring sea lion. <laughs> well, thank you. I've watched over 50 of your programs. And what got me interested is that I've been uh, welcoming some missionaries from the LDS Church about 10 times now, you know, week after week after week. They're still coming back. God bless their heart. And I got to the point today where I, I gave them a photocopy of Deseret News from the 18th of June, 1873, in which Brigham Young teaches the Adam-God doctrine. Mm. And uh, they, they were pretty quiet, but they are coming back next week, so we'll see what their ruminations are up to by then. Awesome. Now, this is the question I have for you. I have been told and read on the Internet that returning missionaries have a high incidence of depression and suicide and apostasy. Does that correspond to, to your experience and, and what you knew as an LDS man back in the day? Back in the day, I don't know. But what I can say is that today, um, there's certainly enough empirical data that says Utah uh, is the number one per capita or on scale uh, use of uh, antidepressants in the nation. So, and I know suicides, we've read some stories on here from return missionaries and, and young men. Um, I, I don't know statistically, so I can't say. I'd love to jump on the bandwagon and say, yes, it's absolutely true, but I don't know. All I know is what I just cited to you. What are you speaking of specifically? Well, I've been on this ex-Mormon uh, website where people recall their experiences when they used to be Mormons. Now, these are people who have not since found Christ, I don't think. Most of them are atheists, and they report uh, themselves falling into depression, both, both during and after their mission, and hear about their friends it basically blowing their brains out because they couldn't put up with having lied to so many people once they discovered the wow. LDS Church. Wow. You know, I'd love to see some uh, research on it. I'm sure that's out there. If anybody knows about it, send it to us. But uh, appreciate the insight, John. We'll check it out. All right. And look, I'll, I'm, I'll call again. I have a million questions, but I'll just have to pace myself. I look forward to it. You take care. All right. Bye-bye, Sean. Thanks. Bye-bye, John. Listen. The Lord God knew what it was going to take to save people. And he knows what's in us. And he knows that we cannot do it on our own. We cannot save ourselves. We can't get ourselves right before him. We can't be obedient. We cannot do enough work. Our work are but filthy rags. Mormonism places the onus of salvation and exaltation upon the backs of their members. And uh, that creates a depression because it's this system of you must do all this stuff, but most people can't even come close and they keep trying and failing, trying and failing. They give up and you know they eat themselves to death. Or they get depressed or whatever it is because they can't drink themselves to death, that's for sure, and still go into the temple or whatever else it is. And so you know it's a system of bondage and this is one of the main reasons that we do the show is because many people, many wives, uh, are under the bondage and strain of all the rules and expectations and it's totally antithetical of what Jesus gospel is about which is he came he did all the work he saves you believe on him and you can have peace 
and rest. And that's what we talk about week in and week out. We got a, uh, there's a letter to the editor actually, uh, church membership overstated. It's by Ed Firmage Jr. And he says, you know, he's a, I guess a pretty smart guy. I can't read all of it to you. But he says, I see the church racked uh, according to its own recent retired general authorities by levels of apostasy not seen since the Kirtland banking scandal of 1837. I see a church which, despite massive investments in missionary work, is adding permanent members at just about the rate of the overall populace increase. I see a church whose rate of natural increase, according to recent conference reports, is just 0.8%. Since we know that Mormons are having more kids than the general population, clearly something does not compute here. What we have is a much-touted growth of the Mormon church is the phenomenon of smoke and mirrors, an Enron before the revelations. The question I'd be asking myself today if I were Thomas Monson is not how to handle such growth, much of what is illusory, but how to remain relevant. The present message apparently isn't working. I mean, they started off with this front page report saying the church is the fastest growing Christian denomination just under Islam, 45%. And then they came back and said, no, it's 18%. And now they're looking at the stuff hard and cold compared to the membership and populace ratios and all this stuff. And they're saying it's not even point, uh, it's not even 1%. It's not even one. So, you know, uh, smoke and mirrors, which is what it's all about, the appearance. And maybe they're shrinking and maybe we're making some headway on this. Joe, Salt Lake City, LDS, let's take him on line two. Joe, you're on the air. Yeah, I can't understand, Sean. By the way, good day to you. I can't understand why you will not believe Joseph Smith's testimony, who's told of the vision of the angel appearing unto him, Moroni, and then uh, of his vision of the sacred grove, you won't believe the three witnesses and the eight witnesses that saw the plates and hefted them. And this monumental effort that it took to translate these plates into, into uh, the gospel, that no man, uh, and him being an 18-year-old boy, no man or boy could have wrote at his age having no education. I can't believe why you can't understand that this is the Word of God. Well, you, you loaded your uh, comment to me with uh, suppositions. You loaded it. Uh, you know, you didn't, have you looked into the three witnesses into the eight? Have you looked into Joseph Smith's writing ability and his intellect? Have you looked into subsequent revelations that he's given since the Book of Mormon? I mean, have you looked at any of that? Have you seen that what he teaches is completely contrary to what the Bible says? And it's even contrary to what the Book of Mormon says? I, I've read the Book of Mormon for 25 years. I've listened to it for 25 years. I've never found anything in there contrary to the Bible. And by the way, before we get far... I didn't say the Book of Mormon is contrary. I said that his subsequent revelations are completely contrary to what it says in the Bible and to the Book of Mormon. Now, I how do you find answer that. that? How do you answer I that? that? You don't find that? Oh. Okay, in the just, anything in the Book of Mormon is 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 uh, parallel to the Bible. Okay, wait. The Bible. Okay, wait a second. Wait all a, the all the doctrines and no. Let's stay on this topic. Let's stay on this topic. I just showed you the title page of the Book of Mormon. It says there in the title page that Jesus Christ 
is God the eternal father. That's what it says. Now let me ask you as a Mormon living today in 2012, if I asked you, is Jesus Christ God the eternal father, what would you say? Is Jesus Christ the eternal father? Yes. What really? Really? The eternal yeah, that's what we're after here. We're Wait, after no, 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 don't tell me, don't preach to me. You're saying, you're saying right now you believe as a Mormon, Jesus Christ is the eternal Father God. He's God. Right, you remember in the Book of Mormon. Don't ask me what I remember. Answer the question. Do you believe Jesus yeah. Christ? Okay, so then tell me something. How was he created? You're playing a game of semantics. Like There's no semantics there. You believe he was created. How could an eternal God be created? God is eternal because he went through the same thing that we're walking through. And uh, he started out just like we did. And he perfected himself. He became a master. Why do you think they called him the master? So Jesus began <laughs> as what? What? Jesus began as what, Joe? What did Jesus begin as? As a man, just like we as are. As a man. Now. Is a man eternal? He perfected himself and he was, became... But the Book of Mormon in that title page says he was the eternal God. He was always God. But you're telling me he was once a man. So right now, just on the title page, we're showing you that your Book of Mormon and your beliefs are opposite of each other. Yeah, but listen, you've got to back up. To what? To all the people in the world. You're putting yourself up as an authority. Okay, look, at, this is not the issue. Let's stay on the issue. You just well, explained to me that the Book of Mormon is this perfect great book. You've been reading it for 25 years, and you've never seen anything different about it from the Bible or anything else. And on the title page, I just showed you on the title page that it says that Jesus is God, the eternal God. And then you say Jesus was a man. Can you see how screwed up your mind is? <laughs> You're setting yourself up as an authority. Look, at, get off of the talking about me. Stay on the facts. What is the yeah, fact, Joe? I'm saying I believe every word of it. And you know what? I bet you do. <laughs> I'll gas my lot with the Mormons. That's where I've cast. cast it with the Mormons. I'll cast mine with Jesus Christ. Go ahead. I with the Mormons because uh, I believe every word of it. I believe it's true. Fine. See how the people live. And, and the guys who flew the planes into the world trade believe that was true too. People do a lot of things they believe is true. What does the Bible say? The Bible says Jesus is God. That's what the Bible says. You do not teach that in Mormonism today, and, and it goes against even the title page of that uh, book called the Book of Mormon. Joe, you are messed up. You just, you're just saying, I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe because I believe it, and, it's, and, and I'm going to stick with the Mormons. Go ahead. But hey, I'm going to tell you. what about Corinthians when it says I was caught up into the third heaven? What about, that's a segue now. You want me to start talking about the third heaven, right? Yeah, you The know Jews broke that. it up into three places. Order my book. I'll send you one for free. You can educate yourself. Look at dude, the bottom line is, this is one subject that I have just been able to stay on you and pin you down on. We could go on every one of your subjects, anyone you bring up, and I can show you how twisted and wrong and oh, evil it is. That guy from Nebraska, he's lost. No missionaries ever come back from a mission depressed and all that. That's oh, they don't, do they? Yeah, why don't you wake up, Joe? Come on, man. They yeah, the Mormon people are the most depressed people in the nation. And the statistics 
prove it. They prove it. I have the article. I'll read it next week if you don't believe me. It's proven. The most depressed. Why, Joe? I'm glad you live here with the Mormons. I've become depressed, too. <laughs> and you're going to appreciate the Mormons so much, and you're going you're gonna to see that this is all true, and it's all God's work. Oh, well, you know, what, you know let me, can I ask you another thing, Joe? And you know what? Joe, can I? Oh, go ahead. Every week I got a nephew in Florida, and I've been talking to him about the Mormon church, and then he stopped talking to me all of a sudden, and I knew the devil got in there and blocked The devil. Yeah, it's called talking to a jackass. They don't understand, my friend. And that's in the Bible, jackass, so don't get mad at me. It's like talking to a mule, Joe. You don't hear anything. He wised up. I'm the idiot. I continue to talk to you like we're going to get somewhere. I have given you proof here, and you just oh, I'm going to believe it. Go ahead. I'm done with you. I can't take it. All right. We got to show you this picture. Most of you have seen it. Let's show you this picture. This is a famous painting. Okay? Now, on the left of your screen is Bloch's work. I'm not sure the date, but I would probably say 17th, 16th century. And maybe I'm wrong. And you can see the angels there. And the angels have wings. And that is his original painting there on the left of your screen, worshiping Christ coming from the grave. To the right, the LDS, who don't believe angels are heavenly creatures, but men who have been resurrected women and or will become human beings, they make up the uh, heavenly angels. So Mormons don't believe angels have wings. So they erased the wings off of Bloch's painting and they put a more modest clothing draped over the angel's shoulders. It's unbelievable. I mean, they think they're going to morally rectify this world by the virtue of this kind of crap. They think those angels need to have their shoulders covered. You know why? Because that's where the garments of the Mormon temple go down to, right about there. And so they put uh, cloth over those poor angels' shoulders because it would reveal their garments if they didn't. This is the kind of stuff we're dealing with. And they're going to put um, some kind of Mormon male or female, I don't know who it would be, in the office of the highest office of this country, maybe. And they do stuff like this. It's unbelievable what we're doing. Unreal what we're experiencing now. Got two letters. Oh, let's see if we have a call. <laughs> we have Geraldo uh, in Trenton, and he is LDS. Geraldo? Yeah. You're on the air, my friend. Okay. Hi, Sean. Hi. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing really well. Good. Well, I'm calling from Trenton, Utah. I think I have the answer for the question that you have tonight. What question was that? question is the problems with things that prophets say. Okay. And unless, this is the way I grew up, unless they say, thus saith the Lord, they can say anything they want. They're, they're just their own opinions. Okay, so what do you do with Brigham Young, Adam God? Well, who did, it, who, it was a doctrine, clearly, we can bring up the proof, I don't have it with me, clearly a teaching and doctrine that Adam was God the Father who came here in flesh. And now that has been called by McConkie and Spencer Kimball as heresy. 
Now he said this is a revelation and it stood as a teaching among the saints here in the valley for 50, 50 years. Explain that one. Well, I, he didn't say, I know Brigham Young once said that everything I said comes from God, but he didn't say after he said whatever he said, thus saith the Lord. Okay, so Answer. I have to tell you, I, I believe that he says, and I'll get the quote, People will say, uh, I didn't say, I literally believe he thinks that, thus saith the Lord on this, and he refutes it and says, this is a doctrine. It is a teaching. It is true. Okay? He also said the same things about blacks and the priesthood. So have other prophets. Mark E. Peterson, Bruce McConkie, who wasn't a, pro a prophet, even though he's an apostle, they're still called prophets. So, thus saith the Lord is a real cop-out, and I'll tell you why, and you know it. There are teachings that exist all through Mormonism that are considered true, that are believed, that are lived, that are followed, that are taught in, in, in every way, shape, and form. And if those prove to be politically incorrect at some point in time, you can search through by doing a word search, find out if it says, thus saith the Lord or not, and then recant it. Does that make any sense to you that, you that this church can have such control over people and they can use that caveat later to worm out of it? I, I guess one of the problems is that Mormons, we can't, we can't read anything that goes against what the prophet said. So that's the problem. They, can, they say all kinds of things but later on come back and those things change and yet all the people believed. Let me just give you an example. The, the rhetoric that was spoken about black people when I was a kid and my dad, my parents, and my LDS family and friends, that put in us a great deal of racism, okay? 1978 comes along and they say all black, people, all black men, are, all, all men are worthy to receive the priesthood. Well, those seeds of racism didn't die. I went to a ward in Park City in the year 2000 and sat in a high priest group where one of the high priests said the problem with the world today is the coloreds and the gays. Now, that came directly from him growing up too and cutting his teeth on teachings that, you know, so it's a problem when men can dictate to you what is true and you believe it and you say it's noble to believe it, but the Bible says nothing like the stuff these guys have pushed out upon innocent people. But Sean, yeah, doesn't teach that anymore. That was a little flit of history. We're over it now. Are you quoting Gordon B. Hinckley? My point is not whether that has been changed or not. My point is how come they get to change things that have polluted and wrecked people's mindset toward others over the years? How come they get to do that and then change it and guys like you say, well, it's okay. For instance, let me give you another one. I went through the temple. I learned that I had to learn all these ways of taking life if covenants were broken. Two weeks later, they changed them. Everybody before me thought you had to do all this stuff. So then they changed them and everybody who went from that point in time didn't have to do it. I learned, I, when I went through, I had to do all these things or my life would be taken uh, and, and yet they don't teach that now. How come they get to mess with your mind and mess with your heart when the Bible, this is my point, the Bible just teaches the truth? Why do you believe these men? Well, 
I don't know. Maybe none of it's true. I... Uh, don't do that. It's, it's, that's the problem with it, you see. It has a scorched earth policy. They've gotten you to believe that everything is so true and you must do this and you must do that, that when you discover what a lie it has been, you walk away from God. That is the fruit of Mormonism. And it's all over the place when people discover, I never knew this about the church. I can't believe it. I don't believe in God anymore. It's terrible. Listen, Geraldo, don't do that. Just step in, open the Bible to John. Go to God tonight and say, Lord, tell me that Sean McCraney guy is wrong. Tell me what truth is. I will do whatever it is and then believe he will show you and wait for your eyes to start opening, Geraldo. It, you know, these guys have pulled a con. That's, you know, I like your comment there, but I have a Hindu friend that is telling me that the Hindu religion has a lot more to offer than the Christian religion. It does. You can bang chicks and not have any conscience about it. I mean, the Hindu religion is great. There is no, there's no hell. There's just progress of, and if you're in a state of lust and carnality, hey, party on, baby. You'll grow out of it someday. Hindu religion is lawlessness. It's essentially godlessness. They really don't even have a god. It's just a philosophy. Oh, whoa, whoa. I no. went to India. I saw the people. They're lovely people. The gods that they pray to are wonderful. The gods that they live by are wonderful. I never... Okay. We're going to part ways here, Geraldo, because I believe in that guy who gave his life, Jesus, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I believe in him. If I was to say, you're right, those Hindu gods are wonderful, it would be the most blasphemous lie I could utter from my mouth from this, from this stage. I, yeah. Well, I went, on, I went on a Mormon mission, and I said the same things you just said to me, but you, you're telling you me that I was wrong to tell people what I told them, so I'm telling you... Maybe, I don't know, maybe none of us are right. Well, I just pray that you'll, you'll try that out. I do. And uh, I'd love to send you our book, Born Again Mormon, because I think we've had similar journeys, and you won't find me as raving of a maniac in writing as I am on the show. I've been listening to you off and on. I channel surf. I don't like the, the, the regular television shows, and so I, I trip over you every now and then. And <laughs> Well, maybe someday we can meet. Will you stay on the line? We can send you a book for free. Okay. All right. Thanks, ma'am. Good to talk to you. Listen, while they're getting that, look at this picture really closely. Derek, can you zoom in on that? Uh, I don't know. If it's too bright. Uh, we'll get it next week. Uh, it's a great picture taken by our friend Jeff. Connie from uh, Kentucky. Connie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hello. Hi, Connie. You're on the air. Yes, is this Sean? It is. Hi, Sean. My name is Connie. I'm from Kentucky, and I just want to thank you so much for your for your uh, ministry, and God bless you. And I just had two um, things to talk about, if that's okay. Yes, we, uh, we have about two minutes. Okay, I just wanted to comment about Utah being the uh, number one capital for the use of antidepressants. Yeah. And I totally agree with that, um, being single, having been a Mormon a single mom and struggling and obtaining a temple recommend and trying to sustain and keep that temple recommend, all the things you have to do, um, it, is, it can be very depressing. And trying to maintain your worthiness, it's just not possible to be, to, to be worthy. Amen. Be exalted into Heavenly Father's presence. And it got so depressing that I realized, it dawned on me that, 
Jesus, the Heavenly Father, would not want us to be depressed like this. So I did my homework, and I did my search, and I found you online, and uh, my eyes were open, and um, I now know. I, I just think it's so cruel how the church can make people feel like they have to be worthy when all they have to do is believe on Jesus, and it's cruel that they name their church the Church of Jesus Christ, and they forget about the atonement, but they teach the law. Amen. It's just upsetting to me. Well, you are absolutely right on, and really appreciate you sharing that, especially from a woman's point of view, because, you know, it's a man's world in Mormonism, no matter what they try to do, and it's pretty tough on you gals, I tell you. It is. Another thing is, I used to be just like Joe, and I can't believe that he said that, the Mormons believe that Jesus is God. Yeah, I can't I know. believe he said that. I know. We were taught that, uh, we were taught that you know, Joseph saw Heavenly Father and Jesus in the two visions. And that's something that I guess in my debriefing from being a member of the church, it's been a month now that I've sent my exit letter, I, I have a problem with um, trying to understand that Jesus is God. Okay, that's going to, uh, you know, I have a great scripture that a woman named Ellie May gave me last week. It, tune in next week. I'm going to read it to you. I had it prepared, but it's down here somewhere, and we're out of time. Can you do that, okay. Connie? Thank you so much. I will watch you next week. Thank okay. You. God bless. Bye-bye. Listen, uh, really quickly, uh, there's an article in the Salt Lake Tribune the other day, and it's all about a bishop and uh, going and doing this thing, this great humanitarian work, and the headline says, Years After Joplin Tornado, Utah Pastor Returns. To his hometown. They don't use that. It's all part of this game. Hang on to your hats, folks. See you next week.